As we dive in this morning, I'm going to tell you a joke this morning. I'm a dad. I'm all in. 34 turning 35 this year. You see the gray hairs coming in. I'm going all in on the dad jokes during this uh, breakdown. So here's uh, my best dad joke. Here it is. So Moses was walking down the street one day, and he comes across President George W. Bush. President Bush sees Moses, waves at him, and says, hey, Moses, how's it going? Great weather we're having, huh? And Moses sees the president and turns and runs the other way. President Bush thinks that's a strange thing, but nevertheless goes about his day. The next day, he and Moses are walking on the same street. He tries to start a conversation with Moses again. Hey, Moses, how's it going? Great weather. Moses, as soon as he sees Bush, turns and runs. And President Bush is confused because he's thinking, wait a minute, I'm not coughing. I'm keeping my six feet. I've responded to all of Moses' social media challenges. I mean, why is he ignoring me? So frustrated by this, he bows the next day that if he sees Moses, he's going to get to the bottom of this. So Moses comes down the same road that he does every day, and President Bush sees him. And as Moses starts to run, President Bush chases him down. And he says, Moses, why are you running away from me? And he said, Bush, the last time I talked to a Bush, I spent 40 years in the desert. So of course I'm going to run. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, right? That's a, you don't like that one. You can laugh at that. But in all, you know, here's the deal. Uh, you know, that's how I feel about politics. I feel like Moses, I just want to run, not because I got put to the desert the last time I talked about it, not because I don't respect our government or because I don't have opinions or I'm not informed or involved. I run from politics. I don't like it because of the negative effects that it has on the advancement of the gospel. Make no mistake, I love our country. America on her worst day is the best place in the history of the world to live. I love and respect our government leaders and our military. Regardless of our leaders' political affiliation, I do my very best to see the best in them and to see their intentions and to let my judgments be equal and my critiques. But here's the deal. I run from politics because it has a negative effect on the advancement of the gospel. I want to be crystal clear in this moment. The United States government or government of any country is not the hope of the world. That it is not the hope of the world. The hope of the world. And if it was, I'm going to tell you right, I would start running for office and I wouldn't stop until I became president of the United States of America. But it's not. The hope of the world, the hope of eternity is found in Jesus Christ. And that's why I preach the gospel of Christ Jesus because the gospel is the hope, not government. But for too many people, for too many people, they have placed their hope in politics. They place their hope in a government and it's become an idol. I've seen it happen. I've seen that happen in my own life where I found myself blocking people on social media or just getting rid of Facebook altogether because I don't want to hear people's opinions about their political views, that it becomes an all-encompassing obsession for me. I've seen it happen in other people's lives where good, godly people say the most awful, evil, and vile things about someone because of their political views. I've seen it happen where faithful, godly people lose their faith in God and they place it in politics. Faithful, godly people who are glued to the news network of their choice and their faith is quickly replaced by fear because story after story, notification after notification steals their faith 
and replaces it with fear. I've seen good godly people overlook some sin as if we have to accept some evil to get rid of other evils. You see, I don't like politics. I run from it because I've seen the negative ways that it advance, the, the negative effects it has to the advancement of the gospel. But it's not just me. It's not just you. It's researchers too. In fact, David Campbell, the University of Notre Dame, found this in his research uh, entitled Putting Politics First. He said, contrary to conventional wisdom that it's religion that drives people's political views, we find evidence that also goes the other way, that people's politics can drive their political views and their religious identity. You see, politics is changing us. It's changing the way we see the world, and it's changing the way that we see God. I think back to the story in the temperance movement of Mrs. Maybell. Mrs. Maybell didn't like alcohol. She couldn't stand it. And she let everyone in her community know about the evils of alcohol. She's the kind of person that would just pop up over the window seal when you started taking a little drink. And she would let you know just how evil it was. And it got so bad to the point that everyone in the community couldn't stand being around Mrs. Maybell because all she talked about were the evils of alcohol, of this, this issue she had taken up. It got to the point where even the preacher, talking the preacher had to go to Miss Maybell and say, Miss Maybell, don't you know that even Jesus had wine? To which Miss Maybell thought and paused for a moment. And then she said, you know, I think a lot more of Jesus if he hadn't. <laughs> you see, it, it gets to a point where we change the way that we think about God. That's a silly joke, but it's a serious issue. Listen to what uh, uh, Michelle Margolis from the University of Pennsylvania and her study from politics to the pews found. She found this. The single biggest takeaway in our research is that your partisanship or your political outlooks can affect religious decisions that individuals make. So rather than thinking about religion affecting politics, how you view the political world and what party you align with can shape religious decisions and how active you want to be in a religious community and which community you want to be involved in. You see, friends, what we are seeing is that faithful people are putting too much faith in politics and too little faith in God, that we are outsourcing the job of the church and baptizing the role of the government, that we're valuing political advancement more than the advancement of the gospel. We're weaponizing scripture as a means to our own political ends, that we would rather let someone lose the hope of knowing God then we would lose an election. Now, friends, let me be clear. This isn't a Republican thing or a Democratic thing. I would say it's not a Green Party or a Libertarian thing, but they have no problem losing. This is a people, boom, this is a people thing. And that we, the people, have found ourselves deriving our theology from our political point of view and not the life of Jesus. So much so, David Campbell continues and he says this, that we can even find, and they found this experimentally, that Americans are pulling away from their own religious identity as an allergic reaction to the religious right. Friends, it breaks my heart and it infuriates me 
to know that my generation, that there are people in this world that need hope, are running away from the God that knows them best and loves them most, from the God that created them, that put breath in their lungs, that has placed the fingerprint of the divine on their soul. They are running from that God, from hope and from a future. They are running from the God that gave life, that put on flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood, lived without sin, was dead, was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for the forgiveness of their sin, for their hope. It infuriates me that people are running from that God because of partisan politics. So I'm going to tell you right now, no, I don't like talking about politics. I run from it, and I hate talking about it on a Sunday morning. So why, you ask, from the comfort of your living room in your little teddy bear pajamas, why am I talking about politics on this Sunday of all Sundays in this place of all places? Why now with all that is going on? Why, what angel spoke and came into my dreams and burned this message on my heart? Did God Almighty call me to preach this? The answer is no. John did. It's his fault. He's the one that's called me to preach this. Why? It was John that assigned Romans 13 to me this week. He's the one that, but you know what? I'm not one to back down from a challenge. We're going to dive in and talk about politics this morning, but I just want to say this from the outset. If you have any thoughts, questions, or violent objections about anything I say this morning. I just want you to know, I'm, 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 I'm open to it. So you just shoot me an email at john at connecttoriverside.com. Uh, that's my name, spelled J-O-H-N at connecttoriverside.com. Now look, all jokes aside, Pastor John tells us every week that we don't go to the gym to be comfortable. We go to the gym to grow. And we don't come to the scriptures so that we can confirm our own opinions, but so that we can change our lives and become more like Jesus. And that's why we're in the book of Romans. We've been studying this letter of Romans for the last several months. We've done it coming up to this point. We'll do it for a few weeks more. And we, as we are diving through, we've come to Romans 13 and this incredibly now, controversial, often misused verse in Romans chapter 13. And so if you have your scriptures, open up to Romans chapter 13. You can follow along on the screen. And we're going to read a verse that has been used by so many to justify their own political views. And we're going to ask the question, is this what Paul, is this what God intended? In Romans chapter 13, the scripture says this, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist may be instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Boy, we're jumping into the deep end this morning. You know, as we're looking, the letter of Romans, I want to be very clear. The letter of Romans is about one thing. The letter of Romans is about the good news of the grace gift of God. That the letter of Romans and all of its deep theology, of all of its deep in swimming, of the deepest, purest water in the deepest part of the well, the letter of Romans is about the grace gift of God. And everything that is within it leads and points to that grace gift. You remember, and I'll, I'll refresh your memory, if you look and see, as we were to make an outline or a flowchart of the letter of Romans, Romans chapter 1, centers around this idea of good news. God's grace gift is for all who believe. 
Romans, then it transitions into Romans chapter 2 into the beginning of chapter 3, where we see that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, well, they need God's grace gift. If we transition them from chapters 3 into chapter 4, we see that God's grace gift is received through faith, not through works. And you can see we're just working through the letter of Romans from 1 now into 4 into chapter 5 and all the way through 11. We see that God's grace gift changes our relationship with God. And then in chapter 12 through the end of the letter, we see that God's grace gift changes how we live. And you see, as we dive into 12 and 13 all the way through 16, that's the question. That's the aim to answer, how has God's grace gift changed your life? Friends, I want to ask you this morning, from the comfort of your couch or your recliner, whether you're sitting, watching on your phone, computer, TV, how has God's grace gift changed your life? How has God's grace gift changed your life? I hope as you think about back to your life before Jesus, before you received that grace, before you received that call, the promise of life eternal, a place in God's family, the forgiveness of sin, a purpose in this life and a power to live it out. Before that, do you remember your life? Do you see how it's different now? I hope as you look and see how God's grace gift has changed your life, has given you a hope and a future, has shown you that God believes in you and has a plan for you, that God loves you. He's on your side. He is for you. He's been chasing after you from before time was time, and he's relentless that when you see that, I hope it does more than make you a good person. I hope that you see that God's grace gift, the change that it brings, the transformation is not just in action, but it is in identity. And I hope that you see, I hope that you can say that God's grace gift has led me to an upside down way of living. That I live in a way that is different, that is countercultural to the world around me because God's love has completely transformed me. And you see, when we get into Romans 12, that's exactly what Paul calls us into. That's exactly what he begins to explain. Romans 12, as Pastor John talked about last week, shows us the mark of a true Christian. And those markers, those identifiers, they're an upside-down way of living. They are not the, the, the way that the people that don't know God would live. Let's just look from, from the message paraphrase. Let's just look at Romans 12 and 9. Listen to how it reads. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. You see, culture would tell us that we should toe the line of evil. Let's go just as far as we can until we can't get caught. Let's see how close to the edge we can get without falling off. But we have a counterculture, an upside down way of living. We don't toe the line. We flee. We run for dear life from evil. Be good friends who love deeply. It's the current of our culture to have a tit for tat type relationship. A tit for tat, when you do this for me, I'll do that for you. But that's not the way of God. The way of God is an upside down way of living that says, I am going to love you deeply even if you don't return it. See, it's an upside down way of living. 
He goes on. He says, practice playing second fiddle. Who does that? Who is intentionally practicing playing second fiddle? Everything that we know is jockeying, is climbing the ladder so that we can be the first fiddle. But the upside down way of Jesus says, practice playing the second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in your hospitality. Friends, I'm going to tell you, there's no better time than now to be inventive in your hospitality. When fear is rampant, when fear and constant updates from social media, from people that may or may not know what they're talking about are driving us to adopt a survival of the fittest mentality, we as Christians, the upside down way of living calls us to become inventive in the way that we care for the outsider, for the down and out. It calls us to be inventive in the way that we serve others, in the ways as the scriptures continue in verse 14, that we bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Too many people in the current of culture want to promote the somebodiness in them and ignore the somebodiness in others. But the way of Jesus, led by Christ himself, what happens is he celebrates the somebodiness in others and downplays the somebodiness in himself. The scriptures go on and on. In verse 21, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Go to the loft, buy one, get one, get get a meal, share a meal. In the drive-thru, normal hours, two to to four, two to seven to two, look it up on connect2riverside.com. Boom. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise them with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. And Paul lays this out in chapter 12. Coming out of all of the good news of the God's grace gift is for all people. We all need it. We receive it through faith. It changes our relationship with God and it changes how we live. The purpose of the upside down way of living is not that you would become a teetotaler, Johnny Do-Good Bible thumper. The purpose of this upside-down way of living is the advancement of the gospel. That we live differently than the world around us for the advancement of the gospel. That's Romans 12, and you've got to somehow in your mind forget about 13. That chapter 13, it puts this unnecessary break in the flow of thought. So if somehow you could remove 13, the thought continues. Because then Paul takes an obvious, a consuming cultural experience and then layers the upside down way of living on top of that. That you could imagine if Paul was living in 2020, if he was writing this right here, right now, chapter 13, 1 through 7, would not be about government, but instead it would be about the coronavirus. And he would take chapter 12 and the upside down way of living, and he would layer it on top of the coronavirus, and he would tell us how to live in the midst of that. But he's not writing in 2020. 
He's writing in AD 57. And what's happening there is dramatically as far as the east is from the west different from here. It's the beginning of Nero's reign. And they're all wondering, how is this going to play out? He's promising peace. Spoiler alert, he's going to go back on his word and it's not going to end well. That they have just allowed the Jewish people back into Rome. Nero's father had cast out the Jewish people. And so now as they're allowed to come back in, we see this throughout Paul's writing in Roman. We're dealing with the, the conflict or the, the, the tension between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. How does this play out? They're wondering because there's this history. There is this, this, this uh, tradition of revolutionary zealots, of revolutionary language amongst the Christians, amongst Jewish people. And so with that as the all-consuming, obvious cultural experience around them, Paul then lays Romans 12, the upside-down way of living, on top of that. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright comments and says this, Christians who were regarded as the scum of the earth in Rome at the time must not get an additional reputation as troublemakers. No good will come to the cause of the gospel by followers of Jesus being regarded as crazy dissidents who won't cooperate with the most basic social mechanism. Understand this. Now, Christians use language very intentionally like gospel, the good news. Well, to a Roman audience, they would think gospel, good news, Caesar. But here, Paul is using that to Jesus. They would hear things like Lord and kingdom and people's mind would go, is this a revolution? Are they trying to overthrow the Roman government? But that's not what Paul is concerned with. Paul's chief concern is the advancement of the gospel and that drives everything that he teaches. It's the advancement of the gospel that matters most, which is why, as N.T. Wright continues, Paul is anxious precisely because he believes that Jesus is the true Lord of the world, and that his followers should not pick unnecessary quarrels with lesser lords. In other words, Paul is saying as he's writing, don't play their game their way. Don't be lured in by the sirens of power. That revolution, which would have been the the politics of their day, would do to them what politics in our day has done to us. It would cause them to put too much faith in the revolution and too little faith in God. That it would lead them to feel that maybe they were exempt from living out their faith because they supported the revolution, because of their political agenda or the way that they voted. That they would value political advancement more than the advancement of the gospel. And T. Wright closes with this. He says, Indeed, they are a revolutionary community. But if they go out of the normal type of violent violent revolution, they will just be playing the empire back at its own game. They will almost certainly lose, and much worse, hear this, this is the important part, the gospel itself will lose with them. Friend, Paul is leading us in. He's setting us up to see the gospel, the kingdom of God is not going to be inaugurated by the ways of violence and the ways of the Roman revolution. That it will not be inaugurated that way. Think about the perfect theology, Jesus. 
when he had every opportunity to play their game, he did something completely different. Think about the night he was arrested. He'd been praying. The guards come. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas, by a kiss. And then what does Peter do? Oh, boy, whips out his pocket knife. He's like, Jesus, I got him, boy. You see how I did that right there? Boy, he got him. I'm going to cut off the ear. Nope, uh-uh. Jesus says, that's not the way that we do that. Put that thing away, Peter, boy, shooting for the neck, gets the ear, brother missed, right? Think about Jesus and Pontius Pilate in John 19. When Pontius Pilate says, I have the power to forgive you. I have the power to pardon you. Your life is in my hands. What does Jesus say to Pontius Pilate in that moment? In the mic drop of all mic drops, he says, fool, whatever. He didn't call him a fool, but in the Mackey International Version, he does. He says, the only power you have is the power that I have given you. You see, the way of Jesus is an upside. The way of Jesus is playing a different game. We're not playing their game differently. We're playing an entirely different game. Therefore, Romans 13 and verse 1, in light of the upside down way of living, the mercies of God, 12.1 says, 13.1, let every person be subject to government governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, it doesn't matter who's king, who's Caesar in 2020. It doesn't matter who's elected because Christ is still king. God is still almighty and sovereign, and no matter how jacked up and messed up and broke up the governing system is, God can even use that. God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. God can use a donkey or an elephant in 2020, and God can use a Caesar in 57. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Friends, understand this. This passage is not a call to all people for all times to submit to all governments and all circumstances. Rather, this passage. This is a call to live in a way, an upside down way, even in the midst of a culture that is opposed to it. Friends, Christians don't just play the game differently. We play an entirely different game. Our goal, we're living on a different level, and the other way is beneath us why Paul is calling to the church, don't play their game of jockeying for power through revolution. We can't be lured into abandoning the way of Christ, i.e. Romans 12, just to get a seat at their table. We won't usher in God's kingdom by political practices. When we drop to their level to play their game in their way, we will always lose because we stop living God's way and we start living our way. And the gospel will lose too. Again, N.T. Wright says this. The church must live as a sign of the kingdom yet to come. But since that kingdom is characterized by justice and peace and joy in the spirit, it cannot be inaugurated in the presence by violence and hatred. Friends, I want to come down on your level right here. I'm going to come down into your neighborhood, down your street, to your cul-de-sac, knock on your front door, come in and get some of your Corona snacks. If you... 
<laughs> Sorry. Friends, if you're going to be in politics, if you're going to get involved, be involved in our government. It's, it's, our, it's, it's, our, it's, our, it's our privilege as Americans. But if you're going to be involved in politics, that means you can't play politics at CNN's level. You can't play politics on Fox News' terms. You can't play politics at, by, the, by the, the boundaries that are set by MSNBC or by Breitbart. If we're going to play that game, if we're going to be involved in that, we have to be involved while we are focused and consumed with the upside-down way of Jesus. You go, Mac, how do you do that? We look back to what started this whole thing. In Romans 12, where Paul shows us that God's grace gift changes how we live. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, for my bride's favorite translation, uh, the, the passion translation, Paul writes this. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Friends, you've got to understand, if you're going to be involved in politics, that before you step foot into that booth, before you step foot to that podium, before you share that opinion on Facebook or Instabook or Twittergram, before you do that, you must be transformed from the inside out. You must be transformed. You must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to discern God's will, not the will of some three-lettered news organization that's convinced you to post. Friends, make no mistake, how we vote, it matters. We don't just vote in a ballot box. We vote with our actions. And the votes that we take, Karen Shallow Pryor says this, our votes shape the character of our community and ourselves in ways that will outlast our laws. Our votes demonstrate where and in whom we ultimately place our trust. Friends, we don't just vote at the ballot box. We vote with our time. We vote with our priorities. We vote with the ways that we do or do not live in the upside down way of Jesus. We vote with our very actions. And it's possible you could be sitting there this morning and going, Matt, that's great, man, but look, politics is not my thing. I, I don't really, that's not my deal. Like, that's not the thing that is consuming for me. I understand, but it might be your kids. It might be that you're being lured in to play the game. You're, you're, you're scrolling on social media and you're seeing those social media parenting all-stars who like just like Apollo 13, some like Pinterest homeschool corona crisis classroom and they've got the little felt things and their projects and they're all like Pinterest worthy and you're just going down this road of like, I'm not as good parent because I'm not doing what they're doing or I haven't provided the way that this family's provide and you start going down this road that is dark and that is ugly and that is causing you to try to play somebody else's, not God's game, to play the world's game. Trying to reach these unreasonable expectations and it's causing you to live in a way that does not advance the gospel with your kids because you get short 
Or you get frustrated when their craft isn't Pinterest-worthy because you get short in your attention span or your, your patience runs short because they're not being quiet on your Zoom meeting. Like we've all figured out how to do Zoom by now. We haven't. It's okay. Your kids can walk in. You'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe for you, it's not, it's not your kids. Maybe it's your sport. Young man, young woman, you've put your hope and your future in sports. You think, if I can just get that scholarship, if I can just get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, then maybe, just maybe, I'll be somebody. You're trying to find your identity in statistics. You only pray so that you get better at sports, so that that coach notices you, like Jesus is some cosmic genie or good luck charm. Like you're in Major League, Major League, and Jim Bato or whatever his name was. Uh, you, remember, you, remember that, you remember that in Major League? Joe Boo. Yeah, go, go Google it. You got time. Maybe it's your work or your career, your plan of the perfect life. It's addiction, selfishness. I don't know what's front and center for you, but I'm going to tell you this. Anything that lures your focus off of the advancement of the gospel, anything that lures, that calls you to see Jesus through the lens of itself rather than it through the lens of Jesus is something that is calling you to play a game you weren't meant to play. It's calling you to play at a lower level, to deal with the lesser Lord. And not only will you lose, but the gospel will lose too. Remember, friends, your actions demonstrate where and in whom you place your trust. That's why Paul calls us to a new way of living to an upside-down way of living, that our every choice would proclaim our trust in Christ. It would work to advance the gospel in his kingdom, and we would not lower ourselves. We would not bow down to a lesser game. Paul brings it home at the end of chapter 13. He says, look, this is what it's all about. Listen to Romans 13, 11, and we're done. To live like this is all the more urgent. For time is running out, and you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Friends, understand this. We're not in some space-time continuum where time has been stopped and we're going to come back two weeks or four weeks or three months from now, and it's going to, even though it should be July 1st, we're going to reset the button to March 1st. It doesn't work like this. This is real life. This is real time, and God is on the move. The question is, are you on the move with him? Don't let something call you to play a cheap, weak game. It's going to stunt the advancement of the gospel, whether it's politics, kids, work, career, whatever. But instead, let the upside-down way of living cause you to live differently. Friends, I want to ask, how has the gospel, God's grace gift, changed your life? And then I want to ask, where else in your life does God's grace gift want to transform? It's an important question. But it's an important question God has given us time to answer. I pray that this week you won't waste the time that you will seek the Lord, that you will be transformed in seeking an answer to that question, and that you'll see that the way of Christ, the upside-down way of living, is the only way to true life. Let's pray.
Daddy, we thank you. We praise you that your grace gift reaches even to us, that it reaches to us in our politics. It reaches to us with our families, with our work, with our career. Now, thank you that you had the vision, that you, that you had the wisdom to know that, that the upside down way of living is the way to true life. And God, we're thankful that before you ever called us into this upside down way, you walked it. It made no sense for you to put on flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood. It made no sense for you to humble yourself, to take on the form of human likeness, the creator becoming like creation. It made no sense for you to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It made no sense that when you could have spoken and ended it all and legions of angels could have wiped it all out, when you could have said they're not worth it, they don't, they're not thankful, they're not going to appreciate it, when you could have ended it all, you didn't. It made no sense. It was an upside down way of thinking that caused you to stay focused on the prize that was set before you. upside down way of thinking when you were in complete control that rather than ending it all you said Father forgive them because they do not know what they do you breathed your last and you, you allowed yourself it made no sense but you allowed yourself to be buried in a borrowed tomb to lay there for three days And then on the third day, do what defied all logic, all sense, all possibility. You did what only God could do. You were resurrected from the dead, proving that you are who you say you are, that you are good on the promises that you make, that if anyone, regardless of age or stage or status in life, that they would come to you, if they would receive you, that you would give them life, you would give them forgiveness, you would give them a place in your family, you would give them purpose and power, you would give them life. made no sense and yet you gave it anyways. It's the upside down way Jesus. God, I pray by your grace gift you would help us to live in an upside down way. Whether we're relating with politics, family, or the corona crisis. Help us live in such a way that the gospel is advanced and heaven forbid that we would do anything that would cause the gospel to lose. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, I pray that your grace gift would change how we live today and every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.